If you knew Roger, you know this would be a passage that he would be preaching on today, without a doubt, because we would constantly go back as a church to say, what is the purpose of the church? And in Acts chapter 2, we get to find out what the purpose of the church is here. In Acts 2.42, it says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all these things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and they were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, notice these two places, They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. So let me just ask you this question. When you read that, when you kind of mentally picture that, wouldn't that be the kind of church that you'd want to be part of? I mean, when you see people who are saying, you got, you, you're in need? I mean, let's remember the context. People have gathered from all around the world for Passover, and they've come together here, and um, Jesus has worked in their life in such a powerful way that they can't go home yet. They've got to stay and stay connected. Now, there were some who were from the area who would have homes, and they would have places they could live, and they would have savings account. But there were lots of others who were maybe like some of you, up visiting. And God said instead, hey, stay. How, how are you going to pay for that? How are you going to make room for that? How are they going to have places to live? And God's people sat there and said, this is so important. I don't need that. Maybe, maybe they just finally gotten that new sports chariot that they always wanted, you know, uh, and, they, and they sold that. But let's be more realistic. More of these were lower class, lower income. These were people without clout and without power. They didn't have vacation homes or, or, or like, you know, servants' quarters. But they were still kind of taking what they had and said, this is so important for us that I would sacrifice what I have so that you can grow. And they're welcoming people in their homes. And they're seeing people's lives change on a regular basis. This is what the early church looked like, and it remains the model for us. And what I want to do is just kind of give us a couple of things. I want to ask the question first, what is a church? And then we want to go ahead and kind of say, here's characteristics of a church. Now, you might sit there and go, I already know these, but just track with me. Okay, I'll try and make it, I'll try and make it brief. But I want to remind us what our calling, Wyndham Baptist Church, what our calling continues to be, okay? So what's a church? What is not a church? Let's start with that. It is not this building. If we were to look up Wyndham Baptist Church and suddenly say, you know what, we had to get rid of this building. We would do it. it. This building has been a fantastic resource. And, and we realized that the early generations of Wyndham Baptist Church, they worked and hand-built this building. And they did it in such a smart 
and wise and wonderful way that this building can be massively used with very little financial income uh, invested in it. There's just basic maintenance for really the last you know, 30 years. I, I, Charlie, remind me, if, I, I think, but I mean, the mortgage was retired in seven years, wasn't it? It was, it was almost no time at all before this building was paid for and we stopped paying for buildings at that point. And, and, you know, there's been lots of work that's been done in here, but it's all been kind of modular. We can change it as the, as the need is. But the church is not this building. What is the church? Well, let me give you a definition. I didn't come up with this definition. problem is I don't remember who gave me this definition, but let me go ahead and read it for you. The local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. In obedience to the Scripture, they organize under qualified leadership, gather regularly for worship, that's preaching, singing, giving, etc. They observe the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion. They're unified by the Holy Spirit. They're disciplined for holiness. And they scatter to fulfill the great commission and the great commandment as missionaries to the world by God's grace, for his glory, and their joy. If you ever wonder what a church is, that's a really good definition. It's multi-layered, isn't it? It's multi-layered. So let me give you a couple characteristics of what uh, a healthy church looks like. Number one, it's going to have regenerated church membership. Scott, what do I mean when I say regenerate? Now, I'm not going to pick on everybody, trust me. I, can, I know I can pick on Scott, okay? So I've got to pick on him once in a while. Uh, but you don't have to worry. I'm not going to call on everybody else, all right? So... All right, so these are people whose lives have been transformed by the work of God and through the work of the gospel in them. And they are new and they're alive and they're changed. That's who the members of a church should be. Now, there's lots of people, though, that are welcome to be here. And we recognize, even on a day like today, there might be some people who sit there and go, you know what, I'm not where you're at. We love having you here. That is no problem for us. But we're never going to change the way we speak or the way we preach or the way we talk uh, to, to try and accommodate that. Instead, we're just going to say, let us help you understand more about this, okay? So that's the first qualification. Second one is qualified leadership. The church needs leaders. We are blessed with wonderful elders. I showed you, you know, Roger Blundell. I showed you Jim Bray. But what I didn't show you was, you know, elders, Guys who, like Don Carrier, you know, I mean, he's been an elder here so long that we finally forgot how long he was an elder here, okay? So it, that's like worse than becoming part of the furniture. And then we finally gave him a break this last year, but he still doesn't really get a break, okay? But great leadership, like, like Scott Burke. And you can go through this, and Heath Roberts. And you can go through the years and you can see others of our elders who have been here and some who aren't here anymore, like Jim Reese. We've got these great leaders who don't lord it over, but they love and they lead and they protect and they pray and they teach and they train. That's the role of these elders. So uh, Tim Irish has been an elder before here. We've got just these great men who love. So we need to have qualified leadership. The third one, preaching. And worship, these two things go together, okay? Preaching, the church is under the apostolic authority. 
because this is the word of God. And the word of God, you know, when it, when it talks about the apostles' teaching here in this passage, what it's saying is they were, they were in God's word. And I hope, trust, pray, believe, and know that if people look at and talk about Wyndham Baptist Church, they say, that's a church that loves God's word, teaches God's word, they're in God's word. And what we see is a learning and growing people. And in this, in this passage, we see is a whole bunch of people who are committing themselves to learning, to studying, to having their hearts transformed by being in the word. Uh, rightly administered sacraments, in other words, um, able to take uh, these symbols that Jesus gave to us and apply them well into our lives. Another characteristic, spiritual unity. Another characteristic, number six, is holiness. We recognize that we sin, but when we sin, we repent. And we know that there's also even a role together of discipline where we are asking, we'll talk a little bit more about this in a second, but we are asking each other, will you walk with me? Will you help me? I want to grow. I want to trust Jesus more. That's important for me. Um, finally, uh, great commandment to love, right, is the great commandment. And uh, they devote themselves to living together in really intentional relational communities. That's been one of the things that really for the last decade that we've focused on is we've, in a sense, cleared out a lot of our calendar so that, and we've given us rhythms rather than events. And the rhythms are these ways that we can sit there and say, you know what, who should I eat with this week? Who should I, who should I listen to this week? Who should I share with this week? Who could I bless this week? And we can prayerfully go towards those things. Who should I rest, you know, Sabbath with this week? These are our rhythms. Those don't have to go in the, in the bulletin and they don't have to go into our calendar. Instead, we get to interact with God through the work of the Holy Spirit. And I get to say, I need to catch up with, you know, so, so it was just kind of neat because I just heard about this today and hopefully it doesn't bother you that I, I, I share this. But I know that Josh has a ton of work to do taking care of his mom's estate. And, and there's just a lot of work to do. And then what I heard about this morning was Joel just mentioned that he happened to call you and found out that you were going up to do work there yesterday. Now, I didn't get to hear about that. I would love to have heard about that, but Joel did. So Joel looked at that and said, well, I want to go with you. And did. That's the spirit leading. Now, we didn't put that in the bulletin. We didn't tell everybody to show up. It wasn't an event. Be there at nine o'clock so we can go. Instead, Joel got the privilege of being able to kind of say, oh, I can go up and help my friend who I love very much. And then, and then Josh got the encouragement of seeing God say, God, I got so much to do here. I don't know what to do with it. And I know other people from the area were up there, but to have another friend who says, I want to ride with you and I want to go be with you. That's why we clear our schedule so that we can make time to invest relationally this great commandment of love but there's also this great commission right and it works exactly the same way for us how do we clear our schedule how do we find time to spend time with people that we would love to come to know jesus instead of big events what we focused on as a church is to say let's learn to follow jesus let's learn to do that together and let's work together that way. 
You know, that's what it looks like to be loved. I got another picture here, another couple I want to introduce you to. Because back in probably 19, let's say it was 90, it might have been 89. But I came here to this church as a college student visiting. And uh, I was staying at my aunt's house, a cabin up in Brandy Pond. And my brother told me there's a great church down in Wyndham. Go to that one. So I came here. I didn't know any better. So I showed up, and when I came in here, I didn't know a single person, not one. And I was by myself. There was no one in the whole area that I knew. And I walked in the back doors, and while I was in here, for some reason, this couple, Guy and Ruth, now they don't dress like this. They're not actually this old. (laughs) This was like a special event that the church did, like an old-timey, let's dress up like we're from the olden times kind of thing. So they're, they're definitely more modern than this. But Guy and Ruth... For some reason, just God called them to bless me and give me a family while I was here. I was here for three weeks. And I only saw them once or twice, but when I walked in the building, they're like, what are you doing for lunch? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think that far ahead. And, and they're like, well, come with us. And, and I've told you a story before where they, they just took me to their house. Now, at that point, they didn't live in Wyndham. They lived in South Portland. And they, they took me down there. They fed me lunch. I was wearing a white shirt, and she made spaghetti with spaghetti sauce, so she tuffed this big towel down my shirt, down the neck of my shirt, so she could make sure I didn't get anything onto the front of it. And then they took me to Portland Headlight, and they drove me all around South Portland, showed me where they grew up. And, you know, when they said, come over for lunch, I'm thinking, okay, I'll go over for lunch. I'll be there for an hour or two. Well, we got back here just in time for evening worship um, because of all the things that they packed in. But for the next couple years, when I would visit here, Guy and Ruth did this. Do you see that same pattern? There wasn't this big thing where we said, let's have a college ministry specifically. But Guy and Ruth had a college ministry. They welcomed me. And I know that they did that for others of you. And so many of you have been welcomed into, say, Tim and Cindy's house. Um, others of you have been welcomed, you know, through, through other people who are here. This is what it looks like to be a church. Notice what I'm not describing. Because in Acts chapter 2 here, you've got this right after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Right? You know, and what you have here is probably at tops there may have been about a 1,000 believers. At, at the very max, you know, when you, when you go looking through the work that, that the Holy Spirit did in Pentecost, okay? There, 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 it, it grew from this small group, then Pentecost, and suddenly you got 5,000 on a Sunday morning, you know, uh, uh, believers. But in the whole world, that's all you had. Do you realize that in 400 years, you suddenly had almost 25% of the global population that believed, followed, loved, and trusted Jesus. You ever thought about that before? You go from a group of maybe a thousand to be generous to into the millions. How did that happen? Was it because they had PowerPoint? Okay, I know that's old technology today, right? was because they had musicians. And again, our musicians do such a great job. I love the way that they lead and lead us to Jesus. So I'm not picking on musicians, but did they, was it because they, they had the right kind of music? Is that what really grew the church? What was it that grew the church? 
Rodney Stark goes through and he says, you know what, there were, there were a couple traits here. Um, a couple key traits. One was uh, the way that they loved others. One of the things that just massively grew the church during those early years was the plague. Now, what was the plague? It was pretty much guaranteed death, right? If you understand the plague, you realize that when you contracted this, there was no antidote, there was no healing. You were going to die, and it would spread rapidly and quickly. So how in the world did that impact the church, impact the world? Well, the bottom line is that the rest of the world looked up and saw someone with the plague, and they said, they should, we just got to leave. We got to let them just die on their own. But Christians didn't believe that. Christians said no one should be alone when they're dying. Now, this wasn't their friends. This wasn't their family. But Christians literally walked into places where people had the plague and went and cared for those that were dying. What did that mean for them? They caught the plague. But to be with people who were dying, to be with those who were so hurting, the early church took the first role of actually standing with them. Now, how could the church do that? Let's remind ourselves. What did they believe? Remember what we saw in Daniel? They knew that this wasn't the end of their life. They weren't losing their lives. They could sacrifice their comfort and their physical life for now, but they also knew what? They were made to live for eternity with Jesus. It moved them so deeply. Now, nobody had big buildings. Nobody had bus ministries. Nobody had any of these big things. They didn't even own buildings at this point in the history of the church. And yet, through this sacrifice, this loving, life-engaged, life-on-life kind of sacrifice, they saw massive impact. You know the second big thing that they did as the early church? In that day and age in the Roman society, nobody wanted baby girls. Now, I don't know how they could not want such a cute little baby girl like that. But if you had to have kids, you wanted boys. So what would they do? They would literally take their baby girls out to the woods or along the ocean and they would lay them there and let them die. They would walk away. Christians knew that was not right. They had to fight for life. So what would Christians do? They would go out and they would pick up those beautiful little girls and at deep financial cost to themselves, uh, at deep stretch to their family, they would bring those little girls in and make them their own. That was another way. When people saw that, they saw that Christians were not just people who lived by right rules. They were people who had been transformed by the power of God. They also saw a third thing was that Christians didn't fight back. They knew that the government persecuted 
They knew that they oppressed. They knew that Christians' lives were being forfeited simply because of what they believed. But they observed the fact that when Christians' lives were taken, they didn't rise up and try to fight. Christians were so content in who they were that they knew they could sacrifice their lives because they loved and trusted Jesus so much that they were willing to face death and even worse. That's how the early church grew to being one quarter of the population of the world in just 400 years. You don't see buildings. You don't see massive programs. What you see is people who have four habits. And there's four habits that you can see in this passage as we look at it. Okay, Four habits for them. These four habits were studying Scripture to know God, right? They spent time, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's that sign that they wanted to know who God was, and they spent time studying God's Word to find out who God was. Notice that they didn't just study God's Word to find out what the rules were. They studied God's Word because they wanted to know God. They wanted to know His promises. They wanted to trust Him. The second thing we see in here is prayerfulness, right? We see this this whole sense of of prayer uh, overflowing what they did as part of their life. So um, we we see that they were uh, teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. Prayer was a critical part of their life. Intimacy, conversation with God, expectancy when you read through the book of Acts. So we've got studying Scripture, prayerfulness. Third thing, loving extravagantly. Loving extravagantly. They modeled love. They were moved by love to care for each other. They didn't simply attend in a place. They loved and shared their lives. I mean, that's the only way that you would adopt right? That's the only way that you would care for maybe a parent or a relative that's dying. You're moved by love. So study scripture, prayerfulness, loving extravagantly, and then all of life as worship. That was the fourth one. All of life as worship. They understood that. They saw that whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, let it all be done to the glory of God. And they realized that even though they couldn't even afford, say, uh, to have pastors, paid pastors, they didn't have budgets and buildings. They didn't have these things. And yet, they knew that whatever their job, wherever they worked, whatever they did, when they cared for their kids or when they uh, loved a brother or sister and, and took care of them, when they listened to their parents, when they went to high school, I don't know if they went to high school, but you know, when they, when, they, when they did their work, when they did the things that they did, they realized that everything they did could be done to the glory of God. It was an act of worship. It was an act of worship. So, what we're talking about here is people who are disciples. And we take those four same habits, Wyndham Baptist Church, we say we need to hold on to these. 
Now, what's the fifth ingredient that's not listed on those four? Well, you'd really have to go back to Acts chapter 1. I'll just summarize it for you. But none of this would have happened if it wasn't for the work of the Holy Spirit. You can't take these four ingredients and expect it to make a cake. You need to put these together, but you're going to need some sort of a heat source. You're going to need something that's going to be transforming in here. And the work of the Holy Spirit, when they came together and they read God's Word, remember, they didn't have seminaries. They didn't get to go to New England Bible College. They didn't get to pull out their, their uh, commentaries on these passages. They couldn't even go on the Internet to try and find out, hey, what does this passage mean? But as they sat and studied together, What do you think they trusted? They trusted that the Spirit of God was going to give their feeble efforts strength and power, and he was going to empower what they did. So when someone sits there and goes, God, I don't know if I can love this person, guess what? That's where the Holy Spirit loves to get involved. He loves to energize that. He loves to work there. He loves to engage that. So we love that when we go towards these four habits The Spirit of God sits there and says, man, I want to take what you're doing. I want to make it bigger and more powerful than you kind of imagine. So when you sit together and you pray with somebody else, I'm going to work there. When you guys study God's Word, I think through my own history, there was just a group of my friends, lacrosse players, and some of our friends that got together for a Bible study. And as we sat there and we we did these Bible studies, it wasn't like I knew anything I wasn't a Bible study major. I grew up going to church and I grew up going to Christian school, so I had a decent mindset. Yet the Spirit of God powerfully worked inside of that group and transformed people's lives. It's not that we were good. It's that the Holy Spirit loves to help His people. He loves to empower what you're doing. So those are the habits. So let's just say this. That's what a disciple is. So a disciple is somebody who increasingly worships Jesus in all of their life. They're being changed by Jesus, and they're learning how to obey Jesus' commands. That's what we're called to be. So how do you make a disciple? What's the process? We'll kind of wrap up with this. What's the process of making a disciple? Well, yeah, you've got to live life together, right? so that you can help other people to increasingly submit all of life to the empowering presence and the lordship of Jesus Christ. But that's together. You can't accomplish that in our preaching on Sunday morning, can we? Now, preaching on Sunday morning is important. It's necessary. Gathering together to have God's word kind of spoken into our lives through the preaching, but also through the singing That's why we read God's word together. That's why we have coffee together afterwards. All of these things are tools that the Spirit uses and that I need regularly in my life. You need it too. But we're never going to accomplish following Jesus well together on a Sunday morning. Instead, we want people to be in our lives who know our lives well enough that they help us to see where the areas are in our lives that are not in submission to Christ. That's relational. That's why we eat together. That's why we connect together. The idea here is I need other people to speak 
the way that God thinks about me and what's true about me into my life. Maybe I went to seminary, I did. Maybe I have training as a pastor. And maybe I've been a pastor now kind of for a long time, I guess. doesn't feel that way. But, you know, I guess on, on a lot of scales, I've been this for a while. I still need this in my life. You still want this in your life. When we read Acts chapter 2, what we come away with is this desire not to say, boy, I wish we had a bigger building and I wish we had bigger programs and I wish we had television and I wish we had all of these kind of things. What What we walk away when we read this is to say, I wish I had friends that were like family who were concerned about my spiritual growth and I could be concerned about their spiritual growth and that we could go out together as a team and see other people come to know Jesus. And then we could bring them into our group and we could love them like family. That's our purpose. That's what a church is, okay? Now, what does it look like? Lots of different things. Every church has kind of its own form, you know? They hold to these things. They cling to these things. But they're going to have different faces. Some of them are going to be big and they're going to have great buildings and they're going to have fantastic resources and others are going to be small and some of them are going to, you know, just, there's just going to be lots of different ways, shapes, just like my family is not like your family. There's just different parts to how we fit together and yet we are all the church when, when, we, when we love and live for these ways, okay? So I just want to remind us as a church that God has called us to this Let's continue to pursue this. Let's never abandon this. The greatest part, when we talk to people about the greatest impact that Wyndham Baptist Church has had on them, it's been the way that God's Word has been taught and the way that other people have connected and cared for me. They've helped me to grow. That's the repeated story. Father, help us. We really want to be your people and we want to grow in love for you. And we want to actually continue to see you transform people's lives, our neighbors, our coworkers. God, we want to see maybe it's our, our dad or maybe our mom come to know you. And we want to see them grow up in you. And we want to see them walk with you. And we want to see them um, helping other people to do the same thing. We realize a whole bunch of rules and programs aren't the thing that's going to make that happen. Instead, we realize that the thing that happens is when our lives are so touched and shaped by you that it starts to flow out of us and we're willing to overflow into the life of others. Lord, let that be true here. That's what we long to be. So when we hear Rory talk about the overflow of love in her life so that she wants to be a blessing to others on the streets of Portland, God, we applaud that. And we see Sam as a loving mom, caring for for this beautiful little Anna and Luke and her husband, Ronnie. And and Lord, as as she just overflows in her life, we want to see that. And Lord, we just want to continue to pray that those things would happen more and more and that you would help us not to have to worry about not doing it right, but instead help us instead to trust that you love to help us. You want us to get on the right track. We love you. We trust you. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.